0: Welcome back to Adventures in Blockchain. This is a podcast all about blockchain development. So I'm your co-host, uh, Gregory from Dapp University, and I've got my other co-host, Roman. Ah, sorry, not Roman. Roman's not with us today. I've got Bruno and uh, Chuck here to talk about privacy in blockchain. So welcome, welcome, boys.
1: Hello, everyone. Hi, uh, Gregory. Hi, Chuck. Nice having you here.
2: About 10 months before we started Ruby Rogues, which is the oldest podcast on devchat.tv, I went freelance. And one of the things that I figured out pretty fast is that I had no idea what I was doing. And I made a bunch of mistakes, but I also made a bunch of friends who were doing freelance. And we got together and we started a podcast called The Freelancer Show. And The Freelancer Show has been running about as long as JavaScript Jabber. But we talk every week about all of the things that we were learning and doing in freelancing and giving people advice on how to get their business started so that they could go out and be independent if that's what they wanted. Nowadays, I'm not on the show anymore, but we have terrific people like Ruben Lerner and Eric Dietrich that come on every week and talk to you about how they run their businesses and give other perspectives on things that you can do. So whether it's how to find clients, or whether it's how to step in and start doing training, or other programs, or how to run a business, they have a ton of experience. And they talk about all kinds of things that are going to help you pull things together and be successful as a freelancer. So whether you're thinking about moonlighting and trying it out or whether you're going whole hog and putting your job, you should definitely check out The Freelancer Show. And you can find that at freelancershow.com.
0: So this is a really interesting topic that I want to go ahead and jump into. So privacy and blockchain is a really hot topic. Um, because it's something that a lot of people are trying to solve, right? So what is the issue here? Uh, why do we see these public blockchains versus these private blockchains and everything in between? Uh, I'm going to kind of hand it over to Bruno to maybe talk about this problem a little bit and we'll kind of go from there.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what we see a lot, um, uh, when people talk about blockchain, the main word that we get is privacy we have decentralization encryption and everything else but the main thing that people are working on right now is the privacy so we see public blockchains we see private blockchains but just having a private blockchain doesn't necessarily mean that you have private data right so the main thing about having a private blockchain is that you're bringing the infrastructure and the maintenance of a a blockchain solution, instead of putting it out to the public where everyone can see the data and the transactions that you're making, you're basically taking care of that on your own. And that doesn't mean that your information is necessarily private to the members of that network. So you basically have the layers of privacy that you want to, to put into your blockchain. And this you can achieve having private data in a public network as well. Um, things like zero knowledge proofs or ZK snarks or stuff like that. Uh, we can talk more about that in a second. Uh, but I think that one good thing for us to understand is why having something A decentralized network doesn't mean that we have private data. You have to think about the blockchain like a big uh, database that's shared across everyone in the network. If you don't enforce uh, encryption and privacy rules in your database, the information is not going to be secure like you want it to be. You basically have to take care of your data just like you would any other database. Having a blockchain doesn't solve the privacy problem. It only solves, well, having blockchain solves the decentralization problem.
3: I think the thing that I'm seeing with some of this, so there are two things that make this interesting to me. One was just kind of the general uh, thoughts around uh, blockchain in the sense that I've heard that law enforcement is starting to like comb through the Bitcoin blockchain, for example. And what they do is they, you know, they don't necessarily know who all the people who own all of the wallets are, you know. So they can't address a key directly to a person, but they can see if they know where one person is, who's in their network and things like that. And the other thing that I've seen is that, uh, you know, people talk about blockchains as these distributed... Um, databases, and then I hear people complaining about companies like Google and Facebook not es- essentially being nice or playing fair. And I thought, okay, well, you know, what if the search index were a public database like a blockchain, or what if the what if the social network or Facebook was a blockchain, you know, or built on a blockchain as its database? So you could essentially have a bazillion different Facebooks, and then people could pick the essentially the set of algorithms that they like, and then I thought, okay, but if I'm sending a picture of my kids to my mom, I don't want the whole world to see it. So how do I deal with that?
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So, yeah, the, the main
1: thing about uh having your information on the blockchain is, on a, a, a public blockchain, is that, like you said, your information is going to be visible to everyone in the network, right? And you don't want that to happen. You want... Uh, if you send a, a picture to your mom, like you mentioned, you don't want everyone to be able to see the picture or you don't. maybe you don't even want them to see that you're sending a picture. And in a public blockchain or in any blockchain, that's where uh, zero knowledge proofs come in, where you can have a transaction but not know what is the transaction, what is the data that you're transacting, right? You can basically say, because the blockchain is composed of multiple nodes, multiple uh, people, multiple members. You can basically say that members are doing transactions, but without knowing and valid transactions, but without knowing what it is that they are transacting. And in the zero knowledge proofs, we also have uh, ZK-SNARKs, which is a really big uh, name zero knowledge, succinct, non-interactive argument of knowledge. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a long name, but it basically means that it's uh, a proof that you have a, tra- a valid transaction, and you don't, even, ex- you don't even, even need to execute that transaction to know that it's valid. So there's a bunch of algorithms inside that, a bunch of calculations that you can have, uh, to know if a transaction is valid or not without even running it, or without having the members that are validating that without having them having to interact with each other, you know, and that is a a, a big deal for uh, public blockchains where you can have those shielded transactions, and we have um, uh, cryptocurrencies such as Zcash, which are uh, I think they're based on Ethereum, right? And um, they work with those uh, zero-knowledge proofs and those zk SNARKs to be able to provide those transactions that you can't really see what the transaction is. You can only see that it's a valid transaction inside the the blockchain.
3: Oh, interesting
0: yeah totally. So I want to go uh kind of back to so that people you know just to clarify for people's understanding uh even just like the difference between a public blockchain and a private blockchain um and you know just so that we can distinguish, you know, some of the types of things we're talking about. So a public blockchain you know, example is the Bitcoin blockchain. It's uh, Ethereum blockchain. And, and that would fall under uh, sort of the problem that Chuck is talking about. Like, you know, if you want to put a Facebook on the blockchain or something like that, you don't want to see your pictures of your child sent um, from one person to another. Uh, you've got issues, right? right now was something like a public blockchain. And that's the umbrella under which the solutions that Bruno proposed, uh, fall under like zero knowledge proofs and things like that. So, and why this is a public blockchain is because basically the public is responsible for running it. If you've ever heard of like Bitcoin miners or something like that, mm-hmm. that's an example of someone who participates in a proof of work blockchain where they get mining rewards for helping run the network, right? Anybody can connect to it. Anybody can transact with it. Um, but this is a problem for businesses, right? And, it's not just for people who want to send, you know, pictures of their children on uh, Facebook, for example. It's also a problem for a business that has confidential or sensitive data, and they want to use a blockchain for business use cases. Like think about um, areas where decentralization matters. Like different companies want to do business with one another, and they want to have a shared uh, repository of information or shared database uh, where they don't have that they know is going to be accurate right? And it's trustless in this way. It's decentralized. Let's say it's 5 to 10 businesses that rely upon the same information because they don't really trust one another to tell you the truth. Um, And they need this, but they also can't afford to just put sensitive information completely visible to other people on this network. And that's the problem of that. That's really where we're talking about privacy, even within private blockchain. That's a totally different example um so maybe we talk about that a little more
1: yeah yeah definitely yeah like you said uh having a private blockchain doesn't mean that you can have that privacy between the members right you have to basically think of your privacy inside a well we we say that a private blockchain is basically a permission blockchain we also have that terminology it basically means the same thing but you have multiple layers of privacy where you can check if someone is allowed to access some information or not. And that's what we have in a private blockchain. You know, We take the concept of a public blockchain, but we run it in an enclosed scope or an enclosed environment or infrastructure. You run it yourself. You don't rely on the public um, like the public workload or the public workforce mm-hmm. to validate your transactions. You have to do that yourself with yeah. your own. And the
0: public can't necessarily even connect to it.
1: Yeah, exactly. You can restrict who can connect to it and who can see the transactions and validate the transactions. Now, that can be a really good scenario for a really, really large corporations that are doing businesses, uh, that are doing business, um, because... They can maintain, uh, such a large infrastructure because in a block to have a blockchain, uh, infrastructure, you need to have a big one because it doesn't really work in a smaller environment. If you have three members or three worker nodes in your blockchain, you know, it's not really that efficient to have those transactions in there for the processing time and validation, validating time so you need to work in a bigger scope but if you can't really work on that bigger scope maybe it's not ideal for you you know so you do have to really uh, see what is your scenario and if you even need to use a blockchain uh you see a lot of people like starting projects with blockchain and starting learning about blockchain and it is a good thing to learn about new technologies but don't just go implementing a new technology into a project of yours or a project on your your work just because it's new and because people are right. talking about it. it, it is really wise to think, hey, do I really need to put this information in a blockchain? What are the benefits that I'm going to have and what are the cons that I'm going to have? My, I'm going to need to run my own infrastructure. I'm going to need, need to maintain it. And... Maybe even the concept of having the blockchain in a public environment, which is, hey, let's all agree on what is a valid transaction uh, without a third party to rule over us and say what is right and what is wrong. We're all going to agree together. But if you go on a private blockchain and you use something like IBM blockchain, for example, uh, as an infrastructure to reduce your costs, Um, you're basically trusting all of your information in a third party in IBM and their infrastructure. And what they say is what's going on with your application. So we really need to think about what can we put and what can't we put in the blockchain and what we should and shouldn't. So, yeah, start thinking about what you're doing before you actually go do it.
2: (laughs) Back when we were starting up new shows, One of the shows that got started was Views on View. And one of the things that was really fun about that is that I got to know a bunch of really terrific people in the View community. And furthermore, one thing that happened that really hadn't happened on any of the other shows, we actually got a member of the core team to come on as a regular panelist on the show. We have Chris Fritz on there. The other thing is, is you may recognize some of the other voices. Ben Hong, who's on the official View News podcast, is also a panelist on the show. He's worked for Politico and now works for GitLab. We also have a bunch of other terrific panelists that come on and talk to you about what's going on in the Vue community. And because they're so closely tied to Vue and they talk to people about Vue all the time, they're very up-to-date and very knowledgeable about what's going on in the Vue community. So if you're looking for a way to learn Vue.js or if you're looking for a way to stay current with Vue.js and kind of have the water cooler conversations you wish you could have about it in places where maybe they're not using it, then definitely check it out. You can find it at viewsonvue.com
0: that's right and there's all these pros and cons to these different uh blockchain implementations like you know for example uh in the private blockchain world uh you know part of the cons are that you know exactly what you're talking about like it still uh has a very centralized element that you know there's kind of this um middleman involved, that's kind of the overlord of the blockchain in a way. And also, you don't get the same uh, security benefit that you do in a public blockchain. So for example, um, one of the reasons that public blockchains are so secure is that it's really, really, really hard to change information on the blockchain, to tamper with it, to corrupt it. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to change a Bitcoin transaction, for example, you would need the hashing power of more than 51 percent of the entire network, which is it's essentially impossible. Right. And that problem actually gets harder the farther and farther and back you go in history on the blockchain because that's how that's how blocks work. Blocks contain the header of the, pre, a ha- hash of the header of the previous block and then the previous block and the previous block and the previous block. So it becomes exponentially harder the farther or farther back you go, right? So mm-hmm. you don't have that same security <laughs> level on a private blockchain like that. Someone could essentially overpower uh, your security uh, easier than they could something like Bitcoin, right? Uh, so that's like one con. Another con is that you don't have necessarily the same economic incentive to increase the security of the network. Like you're essentially right. still just paying infrastructure costs to keep this thing up, versus something like a public blockchain like Bitcoin or Ethereum. They use proof of work. They still get mining rewards uh, for you know mining transactions on the network. Um, so you know, I, I see public blockchains. Um Being something that continues to be a compelling uh implementation and there and we're starting to kind of see this idea of like enterprise blockchains as being somewhat of a hybridized uh, approach, and we're seeing new implementations for um privacy and throughput which are two big limiting factors in some of these public blockchains right now that these problems are starting to get better at least you know we've got ethereum 2.0 um that's on the roadmap for i think sooner rather than later, which is going to greatly increase the throughput on the Ethereum network. Um, we're not talking about the, it's going to a proof of stake model and, and lots of other improvements that can you know, increase the number of transactions. But we're also seeing improvements with privacy. So just like you talk about zero knowledge proofs, and I wish Roman was on the, on the channel today because Roman actually built a project um, called Tornado Cash um, that allows you to create uh, essentially private transactions on Ethereum. And before I get too too far into how that works, um, I think privacy and currency transactions is something that like is like the iron's ready to strike on this thing. And in that, like you know, we're we're still a little ways away from creating a Facebook where we can anonymously send pictures, uh, you know, to your mom Mm -hmm. without anyone knowing that you did it. File is, but I think Mm -hmm. we're pretty close to starting to have a good implementation for sending a stable digital currency from one person to another and you, they don't know that you sent it and no one is going to necessarily link it back to you. I think we're way closer to having a good solution for that. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about some of those experiments and, you know, Roman, uh, like I say I wish he could talk more about this, uh, tornado cash, essentially how it works is it's an app that allows you to send ether and other, uh, uh, Ethereum based cryptocurrencies anonymously with this thing called uh, an anonymity set. And also, mm-hmm. it uses zero knowledge proofs, which is Roman was talking about earlier. So, uh, this anonymity set is contained in something called a mixer. I'm sorry, I should have mentioned that first. And what the mixer does is it's a smart contract where you send a certain amount of Ether to it. Okay. And then a whole bunch of other people also send ether to this smart contract. And so there's essentially this pool of money, right? And what it allows you to do is as soon as you get, uh, as soon as you send your transaction to the smart contract, you essentially get like a receipt that says I can withdraw this money at any time. Okay. And this receipt uses a zero knowledge proof, which essentially is a proof that you are you. And this smart contract doesn't have to know anything about you, okay? So what you do is you kind of basically deposit money into this big piggy bank that a bunch of other people do at the same time. And then you go take it out anytime later. And there's no trace that the first address sent it to the second address. So it's somewhat of a proxy and it's not like an instant solution. Uh Right now, but it is a mixture implementation that works right now. People are using it um, and it is a way to achieve um private transactions on a public blockchain. Now, I will caution you <laughs> right now if you are really trying to uh be hundred percent private uh, you know in full disclosure, like you need to also protect yourself with VPNs and other things like that, so don't like go listen. And go out and like start laundering money. That's not what I'm telling you to do. Um, but there, you know, are ways to to do this kind of thing.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. As, as far as the payload goes, like you know, you have the transaction it has the amount and things like that. I guess that was the other thing is, is if you're going to send a message, you could.
0: Yeah, um, you definitely can. You can append uh, messages to transactions.
3: Right, and so you can just encrypt those with public private key encryption.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you can sign messages on Ethereum and all that kind of stuff. Interesting.
3: Is there a way to send a message to an entire group without sharing a private key with them? I'm not sure. I totally understand that question. Them? So, if you wanted to encrypt a message, so you you know you do some kind of encryption on the message. It's got some you know private information in it. Um, you could do public private key encryption, but then whoever you want to be able to decrypt it has to have that um, private key, right?
0: Oh right. So you're saying how do you basically send something that a bunch of different people can read yeah. without them all sharing a private key? Um, yeah, I, I not no solution like that comes to my mind initially. Uh, like I said, I wish Roman was on the on the uh, channel today. I think he would also do a good job of answering that question.
3: Yeah, because it's interesting to me. I mean, the the cryptocurrency, you know, some of the work that gets done on Ethereum, that's interesting to me, but. Just the idea of you know having a distributed you know knowledge of or repository of knowledge or other other uses for the blockchain are also really interesting and so I'm I'm trying to think of okay how would somebody use this if it's you know beyond just the typical um, cryptocurrency example or you know just simple messages being passed back and forth.
0: Yeah, totally. And the other use cases that you know people are tr- trying to use the blockchain for, you know, supply chain is a huge one. Um yeah. And basically, people are kind of hand drawing their own custom solutions with different blockchain implementations uh public and private, kind of mixed with some pretty complex uh backend infrastructure you, know, you look at this diagram that you know take you ten minutes to understand kind of what they're doing and um I don't want to speak too much for the companies that are doing this, but like I saw some sp- at the last uh, developer conference I was at, you know, Starbucks was there, Microsoft was there. It's mm-hmm. uh, you know, a big name companies who were experimenting with these types of things, not necessarily in supply chain. So Starbucks definitely was experimenting with this. Uh, they had a representative give their overview of their you know, coffee supply chain uh, that was backed by a blockchain and they had their implementation uh, for everyone to see. So there are there people who are trying to solve these kinds of issues. Um, yeah 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 one, one interesting thing to keep in mind is that the blockchain
1: it came basically to like with a primary goal of solving that double spend issue and to put the power of the transactions in the people that are running the network and um, it's still on its early stages of what we can actually do with it. people are still like people and companies they're still exploring all the different use cases for it and seeing if it's going to work or not especially at scale you know we don't as far as i know we don't really have a major um use case as big as uh cryptocurrency for blockchain you know there's no other uh, use case that has grown this big so far um but there are projects uh working in different use cases like we have Uh, Dubai is doing a project, I think they're going to implement it in 2022 or something like that. I think it's called Dubai Smart City, where they're trying to put some um, government-related bureaucracy in a blockchain. So like, for example, if you're going to rent a house or buy a house or change something legally within the government, you can use the blockchain for that um we see a lot of proof of concepts for voting systems or election systems um there's um stuff related to medical records you know so having there's a few projects uh going on that put all of your medical records inside of blockchain so you basically have everything that's happened to you in an immutable way and encrypted and yeah So, but we're still exploring all those use cases where we're not like evolved like we are in cryptocurrencies. And that's why we see a lot of cryptocurrencies out there. And that's the biggest case we
3: have. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense too. Because a lot of the things you're talking about with the medical and uh, um, voting and things like that. I mean, yeah, you're going to want some level of privacy, right? Because, uh, you know, you don't want people persecuted for having voted for the wrong person or you know, medical records. You don't you don't want to compromise somebody's uh well being by exposing that information, but you still want it available and immutable. So yeah, it's it's interesting problems to solve there.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, sure. yeah I think uh <laughs> I think adoption is gonna happen the fastest in the areas where it provides really fast, compelling alternatives for people. They can't get somewhere else. And
3: currently, it's that consistency and distributed nature, you know, the double spend problem is a good example of that, you know, and so they don't have as much concern over the privacy and things like that.
2: Over the last many years, we've had a ton of terrific people on JavaScript Jabber. And one thing that I realized over the last few years was that we were missing out on some of the real story there. So we would talk about the topic that they were experts in and help you keep up on what's going on in the JavaScript community. But I felt like we had these terrific people on there and we didn't really talk about who they were. So I pulled together a show called My JavaScript Story. And what we do is we interview the people that we've had on JavaScript Jabber or people just from the community. Maybe we'll have you on sometime. And we talk about how they got into programming, how they got into JavaScript, what they're working on, what they're well known for, and how they've developed their career. And some of the people are extremely well known and come from really interesting backgrounds. So if you're curious about how your JavaScript heroes got into JavaScript, then go check out My JavaScript Story. You can find it at myjsstory.com.
0: Yeah, and so what what are the compelling alternatives right now? Yeah, totally. With cryptocurrency, I mean, price speculation, and um, yeah, being able to do this kind of like... Uh, "Quote unquote" in a different way, uh, like tr- like minute, low transaction fees, stuff like that are because you it, you know it costs it costs the same to to move a million dollars on Bitcoin as it does to move one dollar. Yep. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that those are providing compelling alternatives versus these other ways. Was like, something like supply chain is probably going to take a while for people to like really find. Hey, this is without a doubt better. Everyone needs to jump on this. This is you know increasing our profit margin in our organization by Mm -hmm. x percent every year uh you know we're i don't think we're quite there yet and it's going to probably be even farther behind with stuff that's heavily regulated like governments and voting at least in the u.s uh medical records and things like that now Mm -hmm. if there are countries um and, and you do see this with with uh other countries that will you know, a lot of people will jump on cryptocurrency because it actually is a better alternative than the currency that they have now. Or If they want to send yeah. money to relatives of other stable. countries, yeah. Mm-hmm. If they want to send money to people in other countries, their relatives, uh, they'll do it with cryptocurrency because it can get there way faster. Um, yep. Yeah. You don't have any, you're even seeing, uh, you're seeing people in the finance space like Try to in payment space. Try to compete with this. Like I've seen people start like decreasing the amount of time international wires take, like cutting costs on wire transfer fees. All this stuff. I'm like, I know why that's happening. Uh, so th- those yeah. are good examples. And you know, I think another. Uh, I think the two. You know, everybody talks about the killer app, so to speak, in blockchain that could like really, really pump adoption really fast. And you know. People speculate that the speculation, price speculation and the ICOs might've been the killer app. So I think other things that could really drive it fast are uh, these decentralized, I don't want to derail us too much, but I'll tie these two things in together. Decentralized finance, uh, which essentially are ways for you to get competitive interest rates on the blockchain and also Mm -hmm. privacy with the transactions. I think if we can get both of those things uh, moved if both of those use cases sort of move forward together and also transaction speed, if that you know, improves with these new uh, consensus algorithms that, that come out soon, like it could really start moving fast. Yeah, yeah. One thing you also have to keep in mind that is sort of like hindering the
1: speed of where we move towards different use cases is uh, the regula- reg- regulations involved and the, the people that you need involved in order to test another use case uh for example to create a a cryptocurrency you don't really have to go through a lot of hoops to give it like make it work publicly to to like make it uh uh, go live right Right. but to implement a voting system for example you can't just like write it and then implement it you know you need to go through a bunch of regulations and there's a bunch of Uh, uh, things that prevent us from even testing those use cases in a a large scale that is going to tell us, you know, relevant data. So it's also something to to consider that we need to have that uh, sort of like mind shift that says like, okay, this is a use case that can work with blockchain and it's going to work better than the solutions that we have. So let's have the courage to try and implement it and see how it works you know
3: yep yeah it's interesting though because i mean for example the voting systems the other aspect of that is that you could then have essentially transparent counting right so you want some of it to be public and you want some of it to be private and so yeah yeah, the one problem alongside the other is interesting
0: yeah that's a uh i was looking up uh or I saw something come up the other day about uh Andrew Yang as a US presidential candidate uh kind of throwing his name in the hat for the 2020 uh Democratic nomination and uh one of his uh, points is at least one of his campaign promises is to try to bring blockchain into the voting system obviously not for the 2020 election that would be impossible <laughs> he, he became, yeah yeah <laughs> but uh yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, not a, that's not a necessarily an endorsement of a political candidate or anything like that. But I am <laughs> just like bringing up that this is uh, being talked about uh, from you know, people who are kind of talking about technology in and, and the public sector. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and that's a really good thing that we had with the, the cryptocurrency, I'd say, boom. You know, this exponential growth of the cryptocurrency brought the word blockchain into the public mass. Oh so yeah. Now, if you yeah. go outside and you talk about blockchain, a lot of people would would have heard about it before. They might not know what it means or how it works, but they know at least Bitcoin, or you know, oh, yeah. it's a coin right. digitally or something. So it's brought that attention to the public, and with that comes the attention to the companies and the big corporates and governments. And now, if you go to a, a company and you want to implement a new project, and you say it's going to use blockchain, you're probably going to get that project accepted just because yeah. it uses blockchain and they want to do something innovative. You know, so it is a good thing. But like I said before, we have to be careful about what we're putting in a blockchain network or not.
3: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree. So anything else on the privacy front or do we want to tackle on this?
0: Um, I mean, one last thing that we didn't really talk about um, we're like these uh, consortium blockchains, which are about public and private. Um, but you know, consortiums essentially um, are a hybrid kind of between uh, this private and public, and uh, they're kind of like partly private, semi decentralized, and they're permission. So permissioning is also a, a big topic. that I'm not sure we covered too much. Do you got anything to say about that, Bruno?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the Permissioning of a, a, a blockchain is basically that um, what, where we talked about like who can see what data and who is because like in a in a in a public blockchain in that scenario we have everyone is basically the same type of person or type of user inside the network. You know, we all work together. To uh, enforce that the data is valid inside the network, but in a consortium block consortium blockchain, we might have like uh, sort of like a hierarchy of not necessarily users, but the worker nodes, right? Uh, and we can set permissions to those worker nodes, saying, "Hey." Uh, this worker node can see this data along with this other one, or this group can see this data, and we can basically run uh, a, a blockchain with those layers of of permissions and not necessarily privacy, but uh, it's basically like those certificates saying that hey, you can see this, you can't see this, or you and you can or you can't, right? It's not just getting your blockchain in a private scenario, but also having those rules to enforce who can see what. Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great explanation. Um, well, yeah. I mean, is there anything else that uh, we wanted to cover today, fellas? Not for well, me. Yeah, I think we
1: covered uh, uh, a bunch about privacy in, in blockchain. And I think that the main thing to take out of this podcast is that having blockchain doesn't mean privacy or decentralization doesn't mean privacy. You need to take care of your data in a blockchain just like you would in any other database. You need to know what you're putting there and you need to know what are the use cases of who can see it or who can't. So you need to be careful with your data in the
0: same way. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. All right. This has been a great discussion, guys. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking about this. Uh, It was great to have Chuck on the show today uh, to add a fresh perspective and to get some good questions. and Hopefully that can uh, answer... So some of the kinds of questions that you all uh, have been wondering yourselves if you're listening to this podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up today. Uh, again, this is Gregory from Daffy Diversity. we got Bruno and our fearless leader, Chuck, on the show today. Uh, until next time, thanks for listening to Adventures in Blockchain.
2: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.